Who am I? This is a heavy question that can track us down at very inconvenient times, like in the shower, driving to work, running errands, or in the dark of the night. For many, this is a frightening question that leaves us scrambling for answers. After all, our identity is how we are known, what sets us apart, what makes us unique individuals that exist as independent entities, not as faceless automatons. But what if the answer wasn't frightening? What if rather than hunting down the amorphous definition of our identity, we know who and what we are? Not that we've discussed who God is and hopefully got the ball rolling when it comes to learning more about him. Inevitably, we begin to wonder what it means when it comes to us as individuals. I'm your host, Nicole Dominguez, and this is Faith Reconstructed. Yeah, so this is actually a question that I've had to think a lot about recently. This is Ruth Hodge. She is a counsellor and, like a lot of us, a Bible student. I think it's a question that we don't really sit down to to consider ourselves. I think we go through a lot of, you know, if when we're talking about a Christian identity or religious identity or whatever it might be, we we check the boxes of the most minimal understanding that we can, but we don't really internalize that. Before we skip forward to this idea of our identity in Christ or our identity as children of God, the term identity, you can just roughly understand from a simple Google, you define identity or what is identity. It's kind of like an amalgamation of all of our, the things that are important to us, the things that we value beliefs and how they kind of reflect on who we understand ourselves to be. But it has a direct correlation to relationship. So it could be relationship towards an activity, a a vocation, a you know, a type of creative expression, relationship to people, so family or or, you know, romantic relationship or friendship or our colleagues or whatever it may be. And obviously, quite importantly as well, for those that are of a faith background, especially, well, not especially, but in in our context that we're talking about, a Christian background is that identity of like, well, I am a Christian and I associate with other Christians and I and I learn and mirror and and pull my perspective of who I am and where I fit in relation to that. Ruth's observation isn't pulled from thin air. Psychologists have conducted many studies on identity and have come up with the same result. As only one example, psychologist Dr. Shahram Heshmat speaks to how identity is formed within social spheres. The process of finding oneself is analyzing one's potential and skills and applying them to the social roles available. What they observe is that we allow our identity to be shaped by the roles we take on within the social sphere. So if I find that I'm good at art and I become an artist, spending time with other artists would shape my behavior and identity. I think God has God has created humanity to be reflectors, to be image reflectors. And we get to choose as we grow and develop and have an understanding of our separateness as well as our interconnectedness, we get to decide and choose ultimately what identity we mirror. We were created to be reflectors of God. 
read the story of Genesis and you see that God meant for all of humanity to hold our relationship to him as the whole of our identity until sin came in. When sin entered the equation, causing us to mistrust everything we were created to know about God and doubt the relationship with him, our identity fractured. And we've been running to become whole ever since. Allow me to interject this because it's such a helpful tool when it comes to my own deconstructing and reconstructing of certain concepts in scripture. Tie everything back to creation, covenant, and Christ. There is a gospel DNA that connects to every verse in scripture. No matter the subject, we can tie it back to Genesis 1-3, through the covenants God makes with humanity, which can be found in the show notes, and to Christ's time on earth. This is going to help a lot. For those who grew up in Christianity, however that belief was modeled, defined what it meant to be as a child of God. All this goes back to the social spheres and relational interactions, right? We all have a need to know who we are. And if I were told that who we are is found in this belief, that would be amazing or detrimental depending on how God was represented in your life. Experientially for me, I grew up in an Adventist community. My parents were baptized just before I was born. So the joke is that I've been baptized three times in my life. And for me, I kind of, I witnessed Christianity or I witnessed Adventism or I witnessed people identifying as Christians. Ruth says whatever she witnessed of Christianity and God for the first few years of her life was like the telephone game, an echo in the background, partially heard, but never really known. And as I grew up, I didn't really, it didn't really translate for me into a personal relationship with this God. I was a little bit scared of this God in a way because the inevitable behavior of humans was was a different reflection to who I now know him to be and who I'm constantly discovering and rediscovering and and delighting in getting to know. And so it was when I was 16 or 17 that I, I that I left that church community and ultimately left the pursuit of Christian faith. And so for me, it wasn't just the knowledge of this God. I would argue that I was actually searching for a more authentic version of God because there was liberty um, in my experience that, f- that showed this, this loving creator outside of that community for that time being. I would say that this idea of then getting to actively go, okay, well, what do I like about this community or what do I like about the way that it actually it reflects in me and am I comfortable with myself and the things that I'm that I'm ultimately mirroring and practicing myself and when we explore identity and and coming to know ourselves better which I think is absolutely essential in this in this journey it gives us this opportunity to recognize just as you said that there is a hole in in each and every one of our hearts and I think you was you were saying earlier we go for this search and I don't think the search is a problem I don't I I think exploring you know you have different fascinations and interests than I have and ultimately they put us in places where we can really come to know ourselves and delight in the uniqueness of ourselves but the idea when you truly actually go I have a faith in God and the God that I've come to know is love you can go into those other places and reflect upon those little those little minuscule parts of your identity, um, the values and the interests and all of those things and and the um, you know our personality and character. 
but you get to journey relationally and know that your identity is anchored in this awesome, this person. Okay, so do you remember those psychological studies I mentioned earlier? Well, they posit that there are three goals in identity formation. First is discovering one's personal potential through trial and error. Second is discovering one's purpose. And third is building a life that allows opportunities to develop your potential and purpose. The funny thing is, psychology is catching up to what God has been telling us since day one. To be a child of God means exercising a constant practice of growth. We were never created to be the same person. We are unique individuals with our own wants, needs, potential, and purpose. To say that our identity is as a child of God, it can sound a little scripted. If you cringe a bit when you hear that, confront your internal definition of what it means to be a child of God. There could be a few who are quick to say, well, now rather than identifying yourself by your job or political party or your gender, you're just saying that the only correct way to identify yourself is by your religion. No, 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 no. This is something that I had to realize too. Saying we are called to be children of God isn't some roundabout way of saying that we belong to this one religion. To identify as a child of God means that our identity is as creations under salvation, love, and liberation of Christ's redemption. To be put even more simply, our relationship to God, who is love itself, is our only identifier. I'm still grappling with the magnitude of this reality. For a long time, I had tricked myself into believing that I had failed to be a child of God because I didn't fit into a mold. Raise your hand if you were personally victimized by the majority of Christian girlhood books in the early 2000s. I had this very rigid idea of what being a child of God meant. However, that rigidity wasn't from the gospel, but from an internalized belief that performance of an identity led to salvation. To put it in church speak, salvation through works. I read books that said Christian girls were meant to be quiet, demure, attentive, and calm. I was not that growing up. I was loud and energetic and experienced big emotions that I didn't know what to do with. Having a character that was not inclined to the quiet Christian girl made me believe that I was genetically predisposed to fail as a child of God, meaning I had to work twice as hard to fit the mold and earn God's approval. My first mistake was allowing my identity to be found in books that weren't the Bible and ended up taking scripture out of context. And my second was not taking the time to learn and then fully believe the goodness of God's character. Being a child of God as our identity isn't following a set of rules. It's a liberation from being dependent on anything that isn't the creator who literally moved heaven and earth to remind us that we are defined by love itself. I love the idea that both in Christian and non-Christian or non-religious spheres, people are coming to understand or on this journey to understanding that we need to function better as humans, not just as like some moral obligation, we need to internally experience the liberty of that. Mm -hmm. 
And then there's these, a lot of these posts that say, hey, get to know yourself, get to know yourself, get to know yourself. And I've been on a bit of a journey of getting to know myself, but we always want to preface that, especially in this in, in this understanding of, okay, okay, a God exists. Okay, apparently God is love. Okay, well, what does a loving God look like and how does that God interact with me? I think we need to ask those questions about who I am in the context of who he is. How do we go about discovering our true identity where do I want to be in two years or how am I going to build my identity or how am I going to come to know my identity these are vital questions because everything goes back to this we know that we need to find our identity that's a natural pull every human has experienced since we had to leave Eden however finding the starting point is infinitely harder when the only identifiers available are social markers and societal roles such as marital status, career, degrees, socioeconomics, gender, etc. When Ruth shares that the only way we know who we are in context of who God is, a new, more clear avenue of understanding our identity comes into view. However, this process of learning about God will take time. We operate generally off this idea of this behavior based and like I have to do the work mm-hmm. to and I love that phrase we're doing the work but we're in Christian spheres we're walking alongside a God that is working with us and within us and so we're absolutely it takes effort but it's relational effort we're doing it for the sake of this relationship we're doing it based off this idea that God somehow is love and his love is going to look practically quite different to you than it is to me. He's going to call me out on things that are really dark and damaging within my own character at a different time to perhaps you, or maybe you don't even have that specific darkness or that specific struggle or whatever it is. And he's shifting. The identity remains the same for God. You are his child. The identity and what we identify as changes based on how well we know him. And I think the, the thing that motivates us far too much in this world is the opposite of identifying as that, as that child. And, and we are motivated more so by this emotion of shame. And that ultimately comes from having a wrong identity. Shame. For a good majority of us, it can be difficult to confront our identity without running into shame. My belief that I was failing to reach the status of God's child isn't just isolated to me. Quite a few believers, both former and present, can be hesitant to claim their child of God's status because it was falsely linked to shame. Before we go any further, let me clarify. There is a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is a feeling of regret over an isolated incident. As an example, I feel guilty for not opening the door for someone or eating the last peach. Whereas shame is believing that on a core level, There is something wrong with me. There's this idea, that's where guilt kind of crosses over to shame in a sense. Shame, shame basically is like, it's not that I've done something bad, but I am bad. That my actions come out of my identity. And, and in a sense, that's true, but they come out from a belief of who we are. 
not from actually who we are. And so when we hold fast to what God has said about this, this idea of like, you are my child, you are precious in my sight, I have a plan and, a, you know, all these beautiful hope and a future for you, um, which he said originally to Jeremiah. But, you know, if he says that to him, then and we're all his children, just like Jeremiah is, and it makes sense, right? And he says, you know, fear not and all of these things. Well, what that says about him is that he is a God that can be trusted and that he, he delights in, in giving us comfort and, and we are deserving or, or worthy in his eyes of his comfort. So how did this idea become so ingrained in us? Our first introduction to this emotion was, of course, in the Garden of Eden. Pop into Genesis a second and remember in chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, when Adam and Eve hid from God and felt shame for their nakedness. They never noticed this before, and yet when sin entered into earth, our connection to God was broken, fracturing our identity with him, leaving us lost. Shame came into existence when we began to doubt our identity in God. Forgetting that our identity is founded in a loving Father who wants us to grow and thrive, we were left vulnerable, a nakedness that was physical as well as emotional, exposing us to an emotion that prevented us from fully accepting our identity. And so basically Adam and Eve, they were naked and ashamed, and that shame wasn't a helpful emotion like if anybody can tell me one time in which shame helped us to do something that was that was positive that came from the right headspace and the the right repairing intention so if you have guilt in terms of your relationship with another person you've you you know you've hurt their feelings or you said something that was that was a bit nasty or was short tempered or yeah you just weren't you know so aware of their needs at the time well that guilt actually motivates you to to strengthen that relationship that idea of coming back and saying, oops, I'm guilty of doing something or I played a part in the, in the, in the breakdown of this. I love and, and value the relationship and I love my identity as a friend to this person so much that I'm willing to step forward and repair. Well, that's like that gold that heals and puts that bowl back together and it's even more beautiful because that person that's experienced that, that hurt, that they, that, your actions kind of deposited onto them, they go, my goodness, this person actually values the connection that we have and me so much that they're willing to do something that is kind of embarrassing. Whereas Adam and Eve, they're just like, whoops, and disappear, right? And we do that so often because we think that, you know, that shame comes up from that identity that we're not good enough or that we can't fix things or we'll never measure up or whatever the, the phrase is. But God, the whole time he's like, it wasn't about you measuring up. I've already done it in a massive way. The theologian Charles Spurgeon once wrote, the child of God works not for life, but from life. He does not work to be saved, but works because he is saved. That lingering doubt which festers into shame is the devil's manipulation into making us believe that our rebellion against God, a rebellion which he incited, mind you, has irrevocably damaged our reputation in God's eyes. Therefore, any correction that God gives is received with the belief that he is pointing out our sin as a cruel reminder of how far we have fallen in his eyes. Therefore, it is our false belief 
that because God is disgusted by our fallen state, it is our identifier, our identity in shame. But what if the opposite were true? Or rather, what if Satan, believe it or not, was lying this whole time? That would mean that our reputation is not permanently damaged, that God rushes towards us in sympathy and overwhelming love, and that God's correction is not a validation of how broken we are, but an invitation to remove the things that are keeping us from our true selves, which are children of God who are loved with such a power, nothing could break it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Colossians 1.22-23 says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. And again, in Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, for he chose us in him before creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Galatians 3.26, Romans 9.8, John 1.12, 1 John 3.2, and literally dozens more all say that we are children of God. Remember who God is. He wouldn't invest this much in freeing us, only to shackle us once again. God wants us to grow, develop, strengthen, question, and shame does none of those things. Therefore, it's not from Him. Allow yourself the vulnerability of going to God with your confusion and remember that in light of who we are discovering his character to be, we are meant to run to God, not from God. The whole idea of vulnerability is that you don't know how that interaction of confessing or seeking forgiveness is going to turn out. You might seek it. They might not give it. And that's the difference between humans and God, ultimately, because he was just like, beat you to it. Like, I've already forgiven you. But there's some beauty in, and I would encourage people in practical tips, because we're all about reconstructing is, is a, um, it's not just a theory, it's a practice. And so, you know, we all have some semblance of awareness of how we feel when we're anxious. And I, when I say feel, I don't mean just the racing thoughts, although they are indicative of what's going on for us. It's also how we feel within our bodies because for those of us that have experienced trauma, whether it be complex trauma, which is, you know, waves and waves of different trauma or if it's like a specific event and that kind of thing, you'll often feel triggered. You might feel in your body, you might feel, you know, your gut kind of feels like it's dropping or um, you feel antsy or agitated or you just want to run or maybe you feel really lethargic and tired and just like you're unable to deal with that situation as it comes up. Okay, so at this point, you might be tempted to think we've lost the plot, that discussing mental health and trauma might have nothing to do with finding your identity, let alone your identity as a child of God. This is actually untrue. Multiple studies have shown that in the absence of solid identity, the mind will search for alternative forms of identification. Satan offers counterfeits. 
He tried to offer a counterfeit identity to Christ in the desert when tempting him in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. For us, those counterfeits may be found in the hurts we have experienced or our vulnerabilities. To struggle with mental illness or trauma to any degree is life-altering. It must be addressed because without confronting it, we run the risk of sidestepping a major obstacle in our own understanding that in Christ, we are identified first and foremost and only by God's love for us. Evangelist Neil T. Anderson summarized it best, the most important belief we possess is a true knowledge of who God is. The second most important belief is who we are as children of God, because we cannot consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with how we perceive ourselves. In the same way, how we view ourselves can affect how we relate to others and foster healthy community. So am I running to repair the relationship with this person, for instance, if that's the example, out of the anxiousness that I'm feeling and the discomfort that I'm feeling with the idea that I've hurt them? Or am I coming to them with the the knowledge and the peace of going, I'm a child of God? Sometimes we make mistakes because sanctification is a really long process. But because I'm a child of God, I'm gifted with the peace knowing that I can now go and say, hey, I would like to repair this. And I also give you the freedom to accept my offer or to decline it. And that doesn't diminish my value. If we are motivated from shame, you're going to feel anxious. This idea of like, how am, I, how am I feeling? What are the thoughts that are racing through my head? Is it that, oh my goodness, I made, made a mistake and therefore I need to do all this work for somebody to see me as a better person or for God to see me as a better person, ultimately that relationship? Or is it this idea like, I'm so grateful that I'm forgiven and I get to build closer relationship with God through this? If people don't understand the gospel... I feel like it was just 2021 when I actually started to understand grace. Yeah. And I'd been back in the church as an as a adult Christian for, I don't know, it, was, it would have been just under six years. And I, it's been so freeing because grace and righteousness by faith and God is love, these things, God is love is articulated through how he interacts with us in relation to the righteousness that we are given by having faith in Jesus and what he's done for us and the fact that he has faith in us to complete a work that he started. If we think that we spend an entire life with husbands or wives or just friendships, like companionship and that kind of thing, I just think that you're never going to find out everything there is to know about that person and what makes us think that we will know that. That's why God's like this. We're just going to have the biggest catch up. That's why we need eternity. God never takes us out of the equation himself and so that there is like there is an element of yes rather than just focusing on self all the time and getting to know myself and that type of thing we can't know ourselves without that that plug-in of the one that created us to be even to be able to know ourselves I became more aware of God's grace when I saw it actually expressed inauthentic safe people well where they've been really honoring and and gracious towards me and 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 vice versa the development of our character, asking ourselves who we are, can cause some of us to believe that this is lonely, isolating work. Don't get me wrong, it can be, but the blessing is we're relational creatures. 
We don't need to wait until we're confident in our identity before we integrate back into society. But being surrounded by people who will engage in mutual exploration of our identities as children of God is important. Don't think that you have to hide away for a year and do like the big exploration of like, who is God and who am I? Like, we are relational creatures. We are built for community, not just with heaven, but with one another. Trust me when I say you can expect great things from God relationally in terms of how he provides for you, how he loves you, how he just simply adores you and adores the unique you. If you've been brought up in an experience in Christianity or in your, in your family's faith context where ultimately you don't feel that or, yeah, don't you don't feel that um, the way that they align or view the picture of God is actually the ideal safe version of God that like his word, you know, communicates and his just this idea of just walking in this, this, this mentality of like, oh, he just adores me. Which he does. Otherwise he just wouldn't have gone to all the effort <laughs> that he did. You can, you can go beyond that. You can, you can re-engage and go deeper with God because ultimately it's you and him. Reconstructing our faith means turning a critical eye towards spheres of our lives that we never knew were connected. This domino effect is the result of our understanding of God and his character. Many of us are still learning how to claim their identity as a child of God. I'm one of them. And to do so means coming to terms with thought patterns that are deeply ingrained. However, with the help of God, scripture, healthy communication, and a Christian counselor, we are able to unlearn false truths about our identity. In the deconstruction of who we are, shame is something that we can leave on the cutting floor. Providing clarity of purpose and, as said in Colossians 3.12, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You've been listening to Faith Reconstructed. Each episode is hosted, written, and produced by me, Nicole Dominguez, edited by Katrina Simbaku, logo design and social media by Chelsea Ernina, tech and equipment support by Steve Husett and James Gigante, project support by Heather Moore. Special thanks to the North American Division and the Adventist Learning Community for making this podcast possible. Thank you for listening. An Adventist Learning Community Podcast.